Well, good morning. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you've got your Bible, you can turn to uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're actually going to close out Philippians 3 today um, and get it everything set up to uh, begin chapter four next week. I'm in the CSB, so if you have your Uversion Bible app or another Bible app and want to follow along word for word, you can do so. Um, but last week we ended uh, the message by looking at a statement by Paul, and so we're going to pick up there and kind of start into verse 12 today where we left off in verse 11 last week, and this is what the scripture says in Philippians 3. 10 through 12, it says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. I want you to write this down. This is going to be kind of an overarching truth for us today. And it's this, Jesus radically transforms those in his possession. Jesus radically transforms those in his possession. Paul, as we looked at last week, had certain goals. And I want to review those real quick. The first one was this, to know Jesus in deeper intimacy. He wanted to know him. That, he, he counted everything as loss. He counted everything as waste, as dung, in order to know Jesus in a deeper, more intimate way. The second goal was to know the power of his resurrection, to know the very power um, of the Holy Spirit living in him and through him. And as we talked about, the power of the Holy Spirit is the very power that raised Jesus from the dead, and it resides within us. And so we can know the very power, not that we have this superhuman power, um, to make a showcase of ourselves, to get self-glory. But we've been given this power not only to join in this relationship with Jesus, but to also grow in that intimate knowledge of him and to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. And then the third goal was to share in the fellowship of the suffering, uh, of Jesus' suffering. Now, we love um, the, uh, the power of the resurrection. We love those type things. Those sound good. I want to know Jesus, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, but oftentimes we don't want to know the, or, or share in the suffering of Jesus, to, to share in the um, sacrifice and in the suffering that he experienced in his life. But that was the the, the, the goal of Paul. And as a result, the fourth was to be conformed to be more like Jesus as he experienced that death, as he experienced that suffering from himself dying to self, but also in his dying to the world and dying to sin. At the time of this letter, Paul had not achieved these goals. Um, they, they, they were an ongoing uh, progression. Um, he was, it's not that he just came to faith in Jesus and he knows Jesus now personally and that was it. No, he wanted to grow in deeper intimacy. As we say, we exist to lead people to become passionate followers of Jesus. You can always grow in your passion for Jesus. You can always mature in your knowledge and in your pursuit of Jesus. And so it was an ongoing goal. It was something that would not be achieved 
received in this life. It was something that would be fulfilled um, when he got to heaven. And so he had not fully experienced these goals yet. He had not fully lived them out and perfected them. He had not reached perfection yet. None of us will reach perfection until the day that we stand um, and we're in a new body and we're in heaven and we're outside of this earth. We're being perfected and we're growing to be more like Jesus. But that, that fulfillment, the fulfillment of our salvation in that way will not be fully experienced and realized until eternity. And so he had not reached these goals yet. These were ongoing things. And so what he says is in chapter, I mean, in verse 12, that because he had not taken a hold of these goals, um, because he had not experienced them, he made every effort to take a hold of them. He made every effort to fulfill them. We've all had goals in our life, uh, maybe to lose weight, to get stronger, to get healthier, to achieve a certain position in your company, maybe to overcome an addiction or some kind of bad habit, to get married and have children, for God to do something significant with your life, something that would bring significance maybe to your life that you can look at the end of your life and feel like you um, lived a life worthy of the gospel and did what you could to live for the honor and the glory of Jesus, although we fall short of that. But, but maybe that's been your goal. Maybe your goal has been for God to do something with the life that maybe you spent the first half of or um, a majority of ruining and uh, bringing harm to. And so you're like, hey, with the, the, the little bit of life I have left, I want God to do something with it. I want him to do something significant with it. See, the difference between just having a goal and seeing that goal realized, seeing it fulfilled, as Paul's talking about here, is oftentimes the effort that we put into pursuing and fulfilling that goal. Amen. So, so um, we can have a goal all day long of losing weight, but um, our exercise and our diet habits will speak otherwise. It was funny, I was telling Phil this morning, um, this shirt that I have on, uh, it was not intentional that I put it on. I almost took it off, but then I was like, no, nah, I can use it. Um, Y'all know I've talked about, you know, if you follow me on social media, you see my posts about going to the gym and losing weight and things like that. Well, I bought this shirt like three years ago. And even then it was slightly, it was at that level where it's like, it's almost snug to where I probably won't wear it a lot, but I'm going to lose some weight. And then it'll fit better. And so I wore it twice and then um, only continued to gain weight. And so it then wasn't very comfortable. And so it sat in my closet for two or three years. Now I put it on today and, you know, for me, it's, it's too big. It's, you know, a little baggy and I'm uncomfortable in it. And, and but for three years, three years earlier, I was like, you know, I'm, I'll, I, I want to lose some weight. And so it'll fit a little better. So I'll go ahead and buy it. I'll go ahead and invest the money. But then it sat there for three years. And so this is a brand new three-year-old shirt that I've only wore twice. Why? Because I had a goal of losing weight. I verbally said that I would lose weight. And for three years, I didn't make the effort to lose weight. I did everything opposite of the effort of losing weight and actually put more weight on to the place that it wasn't comfortable. And so it sat in my closet. 
And so with whatever goal you might have, maybe it is for God to do something significant with your life. Maybe it is for God to transform your life and to do something with it more than what you could do with it. But your effort doesn't match up with your goal. See, that can be with anything in life. But for Paul, he says, I've not achieved this goal of knowing Jesus more intimately. That's an ongoing thing because I can always grow in my intimacy with Jesus. I have this goal to know the power of his resurrection. Why? Because I also want to share in his suffering. If I'm going to share in his suffering, I need the power of his resurrection to help me in that suffering, to help me in, in those times where I'm dying to myself and I'm dying to sin and I'm dying to the world. I'm dying to those things that are withholding me from glorifying God. So as I die to those things, I need the power of the resurrection. And so that's an ongoing thing. And so he says, because I've not achieved those things fully, because I've not realized perfection, then I'm making every effort in my life to see these goals fulfilled in my life. And so for those of us who follow after Jesus... I wonder if that's the same for us. What is our effort level when we say these things, especially, I'm not talking about losing weight. I'm not talking about um, achieving a certain position in your company. I'm talking about when we talk about being a passionate follower of Jesus. When we talk about we want to grow in our intimacy of Jesus. We want to grow in our knowledge of God's word. When we say these things about being a follower of Jesus, what effort matches our goal? What effort matches our talk? And so Paul said he made every effort to fulfill these goals for a reason. He says, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. That word taken hold of means in the original language to make one's possession. So what he's saying is, is I want to possess these goals. I want to take hold of them. I want to make them my possession. I want to make them a part of who I am. Why? Because Christ Jesus has taken a hold of me. He's taken possession of me. See, Jesus took possession of Paul on the, when he confronted him on the road to Damascus as he's in pursuit of persecuting the church. We talked about that last week. He was a spiritual terrorist and so Jesus comes and confronts him, has a conversation with him, blinds him, and then saves him and makes him his own possession. We see this idea and we see this truth played out in other places in John 17, verses 1 through 2 and verse 6. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Jesus has authority over all people, but he gives eternal life to those whom the Father has given to him. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, as we talked about last week, then you are the possession of Jesus. And the things that Jesus possesses has great value and great worth. 
So today, if you're here and you're struggling with your identity, you're struggling with self-esteem, you're struggling with, does God love me? Would God even do anything with me or for me? If you're in Christ, you're his possession, and he only possesses that which is of great value and worth. He gave his very life for you. He loves you deeply and intimately, and he wants to know you intimately. And so he possesses us. We belong to him. In fact, Corinthians talks about that. You don't belong to yourself. You've been purchased with a high price, the price of Christ's life. And so we belong to Jesus. Paul belonged to Jesus. And it's because he belonged to Jesus and was made his own um, possession. Jesus so radically transformed Paul that it changed his entire pursuit of his life. He was so radically transformed that his goals changed. No longer was it to be this great religious leader. No longer was it to to know the law and to be the best at the law. No longer was it to pursue the church and to persecute the church and to um, have Christians killed and thrown into prison. No longer was that his, uh, his goals. No longer was that his agenda. Now his effort has changed. His goals have changed. And now he's just as passionate about knowing Jesus, being sanctified, being like Jesus as he is in his salvation. He's not just content with saying, you know what? Jesus made me his possession. I mean, we could all stop there. And many people, that's your story. Uh, Yeah, I was in a a church service. Maybe it was a special service, you know, a revival, because um, we can't manufacture revivals, but we can name a service a revival, and obviously that's a revival. And then um, we bring in a special speaker. I was in Sunday school or in children's church or whatever that experience might be. It might have been a Sunday morning service. Maybe it was in your cubicle or whatever that might be, and you said a prayer And uh, someone led you through a plan of salvation. You said a prayer and you got saved. And that's it. It stopped there. And if someone asks you, you know, what your story is, you can tell them that and that's it. Like there's no, there's no growth. There's no progression. There's nothing beyond that. That's where your story ends. And maybe it was because we've talked about this before as well. Because someone scared you into um, saying a prayer because you didn't want to die and go to hell and burn for eternity. I mean, who wants to do that? No one. Except for someone who wants to act, you know, all tough and rebellious and let's go to hell and party. They don't really mean that. Not if they truly knew what hell was and what it's going to be like. And so you, you hear this this story and you hear this truth about what hell's going to be like. Hey, do you want to say this prayer so that you can go to heaven and not go to hell and burn for eternity? Absolutely. Had nothing to do with Jesus. Had nothing to do with wanting him. It had nothing to do with repenting of your sin. It had nothing to do with wanting and treasuring Jesus. It was, I want to get out of hell. I want to escape punishment. And so salvation became uh, an idol. It became basically, you know, God's a genie in a lamp and I'm going to make my wish. And that wish is you save me so I don't go to hell. And so for some of you, that is the limit of your story with Jesus. That's the limit of your salvation. But Paul tells us here that it is because Christ had taken possession of him and That which Christ possesses, he radically transforms. 
And so that's why I do sometimes wonder when people just say a prayer and they're scared into that prayer. They're, they're fearful of going to hell rather than wanting Jesus. I have to wonder, has Christ truly taken a hold of their life? Does he truly possess them? Or did we just say something magically so that I can go to heaven and not go to hell? And so those whom Christ transforms or those he radically transforms, he possesses. Those he possesses, he radically transforms. And so Paul says, because Jesus has taken a hold of me, I, he possesses me, I belong to him, he, now I have changed my pursuit. Now I've changed my goals. And now I make every effort in order to pursue those goals and to fulfill those goals, to know Jesus intimately. Why? Because I'm not content with just salvation. I'm not content with just a get out of hell free card. I want to know Jesus. I treasure him. I value him. He's my great reward. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Why? Because I want to share in the suffering that Jesus suffered. I want to die to myself. I want to die to my pride. I want to die to my bad habits. I want to die to these things that keep me from knowing Jesus. And so I need the power of his resurrection. These are my pursuits because I have been taken a hold of. Christ has radically transformed me. And I wonder if you are a Christian, if you profess to be a Christian, is that true for you? Has Jesus radically transformed you? I'm not talking about you're going to be perfect, but I'm talking about you're no longer actively choosing to live in sin, or if you do, there, there's at least a conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's at least that, that, hey, this isn't right. There's that struggle where Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't find myself doing. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I'm a miserable man. So even if you are choosing sin, are you miserable in that sin? Those that struggle with their salvation, oftentimes they, they will tell me, you know, I, I still struggle with this. I still deal with this, or I find myself doing these things. And, and my simple question is, before you came to Christ, did you even, was that even on your radar that that was wrong? Did you even feel guilty about that? Well, well no. Well, there's a sure sign that you, are a, that you are saved and that Christ has taken a hold of you because now you have the Holy Spirit that convicts you in that sin and you feel bad about it. That's why you have the Holy Spirit to show you what is wrong. To, that's why you have also the word of God. It shows us what is right in our life, but also reveals what is wrong. It rebukes us. And the Holy Spirit, that still small voice, will let you know if you belong to Christ, if he has possessed you, that's not right. That wasn't right. That's not glorifying to God. And you feel that guilt. You feel that conviction. And so if you're a professing Christian, has Jesus radically transformed you? Has he transformed your goals? Or are you just content with that salvation experience? Because I get to go to heaven and I'm good. Has he transformed the effort to fulfill those goals? Are you pursuing the things that you say you want God to do in your life and in your heart? Verse 13 and 14 of chapter 3 goes on and says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. You can write this down. We can't move forward into what God wants for our future if we are stuck in the past. We can't move forward into what God wants for our future if we are stuck in the past. Paul hadn't achieved the goals that he had set that we've just been talking about. So he says, I make every effort to fulfill them, but to do this, there's one requirement of him. He says this, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. So I have to forget what's behind me and I have to look forward and I have to reach forward to accomplish what God has ahead of me. Too many Christians can't move forward into the future to achieve God's desire for them because they're stuck in the past. They're looking backwards. They're trapped to something. They're looking backwards instead of forwards. Just listen to some people. Some people, even pastors and ministry leaders, are so consumed with their past hurts, their past problems. Some are, and so we know that because that'll hold you down. This person did this. This person said this. And over and over and over and over again, every time you get around them. Maybe not every time, but a majority of the time. But then there are those, especially in ministry and especially in the church, some are stuck retelling what God did through them 25 years ago, rather than placing themselves in a position for God to do something in the next 25 years. There's a statement, I'll probably get it wrong, but some of those who are older than me, you might can get it right if I get it wrong. Um, What is it called? Resting on your laurels. That must be old school because I don't even know what a laurel is. I knew a laurel in school. Um, I didn't rest on her or anything like that. That would be bad and inappropriate. I'd get in trouble. And so resting on, a, on your laurels, I guess sitting on your butt, I don't know, maybe, um, you know, sitting on your successes, I don't know. But, um, but, but there are many people that when you get around them, you hear what God did in their past. What they did 25 years ago, what they did 50 years ago, what happened five years ago. But what about today? What about in the next 25 years? What is God going to do? We're so stuck in the past and we're so celebrating what God did in the past. And there's a lot of churches in that space. There's a lot of churches who die because they're so looking backwards and so holding on to the past and so holding on to what God did 25, 50, 100 years ago that they're forgetting to walk into the future and to take hold of what is ahead of them. They're trapped. So this might be bitterness. It might be brokenness. It might be unforgiveness. It might be past failures and shame and the guilt that comes along with that. It can be other people trying to hold uh, you back to your past and hold you back to the things of your um, previous self. Um, Contentment, being content with where we're at, being content with the last however many years. Apathy past successes, pride and nostalgia, all of those things that come with it. See, some churches are powerless and missionless because they are stuck in the past, looking backwards with no vision for the future. I don't ever want us to be that way. I don't ever want us to be looking in the back and celebrating what God did 13 years ago. We want to celebrate what God did 13 years ago, but we want to celebrate in order to be accelerated into the future. To say, God did this, the the memorial stones, 
in the book of Numbers. He had them build memorial stones, but he didn't have them stay there. They didn't stay and make that an altar of worship. He said, I want you to set this up so other generations can remember what I did. Why? Because I'm the same God that was in this generation that will be in the next. And if we, if we keep looking to the past, what are we teaching our children and the next generation coming ahead? Well, look what God did 25 years ago. Well, what did he, what did he do in the next 25 years? We have to lead the way. And so we don't look backwards with no vision for the future, as some do, holding on to what used to be rather than what could be. Paul had a mission. He had goals and ambitions and a purpose. He knew that he would never achieve what God desired of his life, and he'd never achieve a greater Christ-likeness by focusing on his past. What was his past? His past sins of religious, being a religious terrorist, persecuting the church, killing Christians and imprisoning them. He couldn't hold on to that. He couldn't be looking back full of guilt of what he used to do. He had to look forward. He had to forget that. He had to forget his past achievements as a religious leader of the law. We heard that last week. If you can... If we were bragging in the flesh, like, I have so much more I could brag about. I was this, I was that, I was, the, I was elite. And yet he says, I count that all as loss. I count it as dung. Why? For the goal that lay ahead of him, and that was to know Christ more intimately. And he had to forget his past successes as a follower of Jesus in helping advance the kingdom of God. He, he, he couldn't hold on to that talking about that, he had to press forward to what lie ahead of him. That's why he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. We're, we're talking about looking to the future. We're talking about pursuing Jesus in the future. Yesterday was gone, so he chose to focus on what was ahead, seeking to take hold of the promises of God, he says, as his prize. The, the, Whatever God's promised me, whatever he gives me in his word, that's my prize. That's what I want to achieve. That's what I want to accomplish. You know, New Passion is merged with three churches. Um, really, mo most of that's been in the last four years. And I'll tell you, I commend everyone that has come from those other churches and joined together with us uh, and, and not held on to past identities, not held on to what God did in the past saying, well, well we're just going to try to hold on to this. Instead, joining together, having a willingness not to cling to the past, but, but, but rather to take a hold of what God desired for their future. We are truly better together. And that was our conversation with every church. Would we be better together? And as a result, we have seen God grow our family We've seen our spiritual maturity deepen. We've seen our gospel influence increase. Christ's kingdom has advanced by us joining together. We are healthier and stronger as a result. But yet new passion can look to the past and cling to the past and say, we've done this. Look, look what we've done. Look what God did for us back four years ago. Look what God did two years ago. Look what God did 10 years ago. And if we do that, what would happen to us if we cling to the past? We'll, we'll stay right there. We'll be paralyzed. What if we forget to look towards the future? 
What will happen if new passion clings to our own identity rather than be conformed to Christ's identity? What, what if we held to our agenda, what we want to accomplish and what we want to do as a church rather than the agenda of the gospel, the gospel agenda? Because the gospel calls us forward. The gospel says go into all the world and make disciples. The gospel calls us into the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel calls us to go to our neighbor and to share the message of Jesus. See, if we do that, if we cling to what's past, just like many other churches, we'll be paralyzed and won't achieve all God desires of us in the future. We should always be open to pursue that which has the potential to make us healthier, stronger, that which will allow us to plant and revitalize more churches. That's the reason we've joined together. We didn't want to see church doors closed. We wanted to see the church thrive. It's not about new passion. It doesn't have to be about new passion. God just happened to use new passion. And that's our heart's desire. Anchor Church is meeting today, worshiping Jesus today, preaching the gospel today in Evans, Georgia. Why? Because we planted a church. Why? Because we can't reach everyone by ourselves. We're called to plant churches. We're called to reach out and to go into our community, to go around the world. And so we should always be open for opportunities to better serve and mature our congregation, our church family. We should also be open, especially to opportunities, to spread the gospel further to advance Christ's kingdom. We can't look to the past. We can't cling to that which is behind us. We have to take hold of and pursue that which lies ahead of us. I've told some of our leaders, I'm, I'm no longer playing defense. I'm no longer answering this and answering that and, and dealing with all the drama and dealing with all the junk that comes along with spiritual work, which is the church. It's spiritual work. That means we have a spiritual enemy that comes against us. We're, we're playing offense again. We, we, for many years, we played offense. We were on the move. We were going after making a change in this city for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of God. We're not sitting back playing defense anymore. We're not sitting back paralyzed, waiting for just things to come to us. We are called to be on mission. And so we no longer look to the past. We forget the past and we look to the future to take hold of it. And whatever opportunities God sends our way, we're going to be open to them because that's what he's called us to do. Not to sit back on our agenda, but to base our ministry and base our lives on the agenda of the gospel. And so what are you trapped by in your past. I told you what the church could be trapped by. I told you what some people are trapped by. Bitterness, unforgiveness. Is it an addiction? Is it something like pornography? Is it something um, not that just self-destructive, but maybe it's something like a sexual sin? Maybe you've got an inappropriate relationship on the job that you're trying to keep secret from your husband or your wife. What is it that has you trapped, not only where you're at, but also maybe in your past? Maybe it's something that you um, once struggled with. Maybe it's something you once dealt with, and maybe God's brought you out of it, but that guilt is holding you paralyzed and trapping you to your past. What, what has you trapped in the past? 
What has you preventing from taking hold of what is in the future? What have you allowed to keep you from pursuing God's plan for your future and for your life, from pursuing Christ's likeness or a greater purpose in the ministry he's called you to, in the work that he's called you to do and to be about as a follower of Jesus? Today, you have to forget what's behind and you have to reach for what is ahead. No longer let the enemy keep you down. In Christ, you are forgiven. You repent and you thank God you are forgiven. You walk in the forgiveness of Jesus. I I wish I could emphasize that. I wish I could just like nail that in people's heads. You in Christ are forgiven once for all time. Colossians tells us, Ephesians tells us that you are wholly blameless without a single fault. Now, it doesn't mean we don't sin. When we sin and when we fall short, we repent. But then we have the opportunity to worship God and thank him that we are forgiven. You walk in the forgiveness of Jesus, not because of you and not because of your own efforts, but because of what Christ has done for you. So why are you as a forgiven person locking yourself in the prison of your past? You've been set free. There was a guy who just the other day uh, robbed a bank for a dollar and waited for the police to come and arrest him so that he could go to prison, so he could go to jail. Now, I don't know his whole story, but I do know this about a lot of people that have been incarcerated for a long time. They forget how to live as free people. They forget how to function themselves. And so they end up self-sabotaging themselves in order to be locked back up because they need the structure and they need to be told what to do. They need the bondage in order to truly live in their mind. Yet they serve their time and they're free people. They can, they can do as they want to do within the law. And yet they can't function that way. I see a lot of Christians doing the same thing. You've been set free And yet you keep wrapping yourself in the bondage of your past or the bondage to the law and religion. I need to move on. Verse 15 and 16. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, you're wrong. No. Um, If you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. You can write this down. Christians are responsible to obey the truth they have attained. Christians are responsible to obey the truth they have attained. Paul says, everyone who is a mature Christian should think in these ways. But for those who don't, maybe they're not mature yet. Maybe they're growing in their faith. Maybe they're a young Christian. And so maybe they don't agree with this thinking. Know that God will reveal it to them. As they pursue Jesus, as they grow in their faith and grow in maturity, the Spirit brings unity. So if the Spirit is leading us in all truth, which Paul is telling us this is truth and this is, this is the pursuit of his life, this is what's worthy to, to live for, this is how we live our life in Christ, then, then God will bring other Christians to the same way of thinking if they are in pursuit of Jesus. So he says, he says, God will reveal this also to you, even if you feel and think differently. 
And so let us pursue what God desires for our life in the future, but also maintain patience for those who aren't where we are. God will grow them. So instead of saying, hey, you got to be where I'm at, you got to think the way I think, you have to have the same convictions I have, you have to see this in Scripture the way I see it, sure, have conversations, discuss the truth of God's Word, but then be patient, because as God grows them and matures them in His timing and not your timing, then He will bring them to a similar way of thinking, because we share the same Spirit. And the Spirit will point everyone who he embodies to the truth. Regardless of your depth of spiritual maturity, you have a responsibility to obey 100% of the truth you have attained. So you might say, Nick, I don't, I don't understand all of the Bible. Okay, what part do you understand? You're responsible to follow 100% of it. Nick, I don't know all of the Bible like you know the Bible. That's fine. What part of the Bible do you know? What have you learned? What truths have you been taught? You are responsible to obey 100% of that which you have attained. And as God reveals more, many of us are not without excuse. Some of us are new to the faith. So you need to read and you need to study and you need to be mentored and discipled so that you can know more, so that you can grow more by practicing more. But for some of us, we've got people who have been in the church for 30, 40, 50 years, and you're still a babe in Christ? You, you still don't know what God's Word says? Yet you, you, you say you've been a Christian for many, many years. Why? Because you stopped at salvation. You stopped at that experience, and that was good enough for you. Your goal was not to know Christ more intimately and more deeply. Because as we read and know his truth and put it into practice, we grow and we mature and God reveals those things to us. Uh, Vodi Bakum uh, speaks about that and talks about how much of a tragedy it is. And I don't have time to get into it, but there's a clip. You can search it on YouTube and uh, other places like that. But he talks about how it's a shame that we have men in the church. And if there's someone who is growing in their faith and, and is young and passionate, then we tell them, oh, you need to go to seminary and you need to become a pastor because they're just following God's word and they're passionate about it. And those are the ones we want to say, hey, you've got to be a ministry leader. And then we have people in the church who have been Christians for 50 plus years that go, oh, I, I don't know much about that. Yet, if you were a brick mason or you were in some other career for 50 years, we would call you an expert and a veteran. Like your pay scale would be based on your years and your experience. Why do we have Christians who have been Christians for 50 years who go, I don't know God's word? That's for you to answer. I, I, I can't answer it for you. But I do know that we are responsible 100% for the truth that we have acquired and that we have attained. James says, remember, it is sin to know that you ought to do good and then not do it. So the good you know to do, the truth you have been taught, for you not to do it, it is sin. 
verse 17 to 19 goes on and says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame and they are focused on earthly things. Paul so confident that his pursuits and goals are honoring to God that he calls others to imitate him. He's not saying he's perfect. He's not saying he's always going to get it right. But he calls these Christians to follow his example and those others who follow in his way. This is why we can look to Paul and the other apostles and have a model for our lives through scripture because they didn't just say it was their goal. They pursued it as their goal. They made every effort to take hold of it. We can seek the same goals that they sought because the truths that they point us to are timeless and they are for everyone. They're for every one of us to know Jesus and to grow in that deepening intimacy with him, to know the power of his resurrection, to share in his suffering, to die to ourselves and to the sins of the world. That's for everyone. But at the same time, he makes a, a contrast between him and those who don't follow his example. Those who profess to be Christians, but find more delight in the excessive pleasures of the world, whether it be food and drink or other sins that Christians should be ashamed of. That's what he says. He says um, they, their, their glory is in their shame. So he's saying there's, there's this group of Christians that glory in the very thing that should bring them shame. I, I see ministry leaders and pastors glorifying things that we used to call sin. I, I see them justifying things that the Bible clearly says is sin. And Paul says there was a group in his day that professed to be Christians and they made themselves enemies of the cross of Christ. Why? Because they were not only living in sin and they would be destroyed, but why were they enemies of the cross of Christ? Because they are misleading other people from finding life and finding that radical transformation that Jesus wanted to bring about in their heart and leading them to destruction as well. If I tell you that sin is okay, not only am I wrong and need to be rebuked, but I'm leading you to destruction. If I know, if, if you're a, a member of the church, if you have joined the church family and have placed yourself within the accountability of myself as the lead pastor and our elders, and we know that you are openly partaking in sin and are unrepentant of that, and we don't call you out of that, we lead you to destruction. We sit back and go, well, I sure hope they you know, get back on the right path while we watch you just go right down the wrong path to destruction. And we'll be just as accountable to that as you will for partaking in the sin. Why? Because we've been called to a higher level of leadership for the church. Whether you like it or not, whether you're happy about it or not, whether you stay or not, it's my responsibility to point you to 
the cross to point you to Jesus, to point you to righteousness, to point you to what is right, and to rescue you from that which leads to destruction, and to restore you back on the right path. I wonder today, who is your God? Does your life point people to the gospel and to Jesus? Or do you just profess Jesus and lead people away from him and the life transformation he desires of them? Are you an enemy of the cross of Christ? Today, if you go, maybe, or yeah, I I probably have been, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to call you to repentance because his mercies are new every day. So you don't have to walk away from here holding on to and clinging to the past because you've been an enemy of the cross of Christ. You can repent and walk in the freedom of the future, taking a hold of that which he desires for your life. So today it can end. Today you can can repent and be renewed back into a healthy relationship with Jesus, honoring and glorifying him. And the final two verses, and we're over time, so I'm going to close real quickly with this. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. You don't belong to this earth, so stop living like it. If you're in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. Quit living for that which only benefits you here and pursue that which benefits you and progresses you for eternity. Pursue knowing Jesus and his purposes. He'll transform you into his image and likeness. In the same manner Paul set his goals, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm as you seek to know Jesus more deeply. Stand firm as you seek to know the power of his resurrection in your life. Stand firm as you seek to share in his suffering. Stand firm as you pursue a life of significance for the sake of the gospel and the advancement of Christ's kingdom, both for other people's good and for the glory of God. Stand firm in the Lord. Today, as I prepare to close, I don't know what the Lord might be speaking to you today. There's several things that we could take away from this. First, I want to say this. If you're not possessed by Jesus, if he's not radically transformed your life, maybe you said a prayer, a get out of hell free card type prayer, but you truly didn't want Jesus. He loves you. He values you. He died on the cross for you to pay the payment for your sins so that you could be set free, so that you could live life freely in him. You do not have to carry around your sin and the bondage of that sin. You can walk in freedom today. 
And so as I pray, it might be that you call out on the name of the Lord. You confess that you're a sinner. You repent and you ask him to save you. You confess that you trust that his death on the cross and his resurrection was sufficient for the payment of your sins and for your new life. There's no magic prayer to pray. But the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you got to want Jesus, not just heaven. And so today, as I pray, maybe that's your next step. And if you take that step, let us know on a connect card so we can follow up with you and help you take the next steps. But for others of us, maybe we need to repent of being an enemy of the cross of Christ. Maybe we need to repent because we are not making every effort to pursue Jesus and, and to let him transform our life. Maybe we need to repent because we haven't forgotten that which is in the past and we're clinging to it rather than reaching forward to that which is ahead and letting God work in our heart and move us into his purpose and his plan for our future. Whatever it is, whatever God's speaking to you from today's message, speak to him now. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you have given it to us so that we can know truth and we can obey that truth because God, it's for our good. You don't give us these things to do us harm. You would not harm us. Sometimes you have to discipline us, but it's for our good. It's for um, helping us be reconciled back to you, to be restored from our sin and to be made like Christ. And so thank you for giving us that which we can follow and be made more like Jesus. Thank you for loving us in that way. Thank you for not just saving us and leaving us, but you have saved us and given us the Holy Spirit to transform us so that we can let go of those sins and we can let go of the past and we can walk in freedom into our future and we can become more like Jesus. Thank you that you have helped us overcome habits. Thank you that you have helped us overcome those sins that have held us in bondage and we can experience the abundant life, the freedom of Christ. Thank you for that, Lord, but that not everybody's there. And so I pray in this moment that as we close that, Lord, as the Holy Spirit speaks to hearts, whether it be repentance, whether it be celebration, whatever it is that you're speaking to them, that in this moment they would obey your voice. They would repent. They would celebrate. They would let go, whatever it is. And, and Lord, for those who may not know you, in this moment, I pray that they would call out to you, that they would listen to your voice, and that they would say yes to you, that this would be the day of their salvation. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.